We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Matthew 16, 18. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church against it. Now stay here and show it us in the TPT. You'll be amazed how much it comes alive. I give you the name Peter, a stone, and this truth, this truth of who I am, will be the bedrock foundation. This truth, not Peter. Will be the bedrock foundation on which, look at this carefully, I will build my church, my legislative assembly, and the power of Hades, not hell. Death cannot hamper the church. His legislative assembly. Put it up in the message. Very interesting text, Matthew 16, 18. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church. A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. So he built his church on the revelation of himself. Does that make sense? So who is the owner of the church? Who is the president and founder of the church? Alone. Alone. Somebody say alone. Alone. There's no co-founder. It's not Apple. It's not Flutterwave. It's not GT Bank. It's not Twitter. It's not Facebook. There's no co-founder. He alone is the president and founder and general overseer. I've taught some of you guys this in DSTP. That means, and that is one church. The church of Jesus Christ. And that is not the name of a denomination. The church of Jesus Christ. And it is for this reason that I believe in the church. Does that make sense? Because my understanding is not founded on what some guy wrote. Because whether you like it, believe it or not, as difficult as what I'm about to say may sound, it is the truth nonetheless. Every human being who has a level of philosophical insight will always lean in the direction of what he's most comfortable with when he's interpreting the word of God. That's the truth. Everybody leans towards what is most comfortable for them. Okay, the Holy Ghost, okay, the Trinity, they are three people. So we, okay, they're not three people, they are three modes, modalism. It's a branch of theology, of of, of ontology called modalism, where they believe that the Trinity is actually independent modes of God. So it's one God, not three persons, but three modes. Does that make sense? The way you can be choleric or the way you can be phlegmatic or, you know, so there are three modes. So God the Father is a mode. God the Son is a mode. God the Spirit is a mode. So it's up to God which particular mode he wants to manifest in part time. Yeah, it's, it's a branch of theology I just taught you. Called modal. It's huge. And then there are Unitarians. Unitarianism. It's another branch of, the, of ontology that believes in one God, period. Jesus is not God. Holy Spirit is not God. It's just one God. 
And then there's now the Trinitarianist that believe in one God in three persons and three, three of them equal percent God. So God the Father, 100% God. God the Son, 100% God. God the Holy Spirit, 100% God. And yet three of them together, 100% God. Not 300% God. So you cannot say God the Father is 33.3333. Because Jesus was on the earth called Everlasting Father. The Spirit of God descended on him in bodily form as a dove. And the Father spoke from heaven. How do you explain that in modalism? Come, let us go to, let us go down. Who was going down? God and the angels. Since when the angels become co-creators. Because if you say, let us go down in Tower of Babel. And let us confuse their language. If you're saying it's God and the angels, you're also implying that in Genesis 1, when God said, let us make man, you're implying that God called the angels and said, let us co-create man together. And that is witchcraft at that point. That's you implying that God entered into partnership with the angels to make man in his image. In our image will therefore include the image to a degree of angels. We have a major problem. (laughs) We have a major problem. If you start insinuating that Elohim refers to God and the angels together saying let's go down and go and confound Babel because it means God Elohim includes angels and and demons. Because at some point demons are called Elohim. Superhuman beings or spirit beings or celestial beings are referred to as Elohim. So the context determines the usage. You now say, well, God and the angels and say, let us make... So that means a part of your image. Your DNA is confused. Ish DNA. So you are a mutant of mutants. You understand? You are a mutant's mutant. Are you following me now? So let us, or Elohim there, has to... Be referring to the Godhead. The Godhead. God in three persons. In three persons. Does that make sense? Not modes of God. Because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. That means Jesus is in you. Jesus at his right hand. Jesus in you, the hope of glory. You hidden with Jesus inside God. Are you here now? So it's his church. He's the only president and founder. There's one church. The church of Jesus Christ. He's the president and founder. Next point I want to point out. The church did not start with Christ with us. The Emmanuel experience was not strong enough to birth the church. Are you here? The Emmanuel experience didn't birth the church. It is the Alos Parakletos experience. That other comforter of the same kind. Alos is another in the Greek, but another, A-L-L-O-S, another who is the same. Does that make sense? That's, that's, that's when I coined that my, my phrase, same difference. A loss is another, but another who is exactly of the same kind. Does that make sense? Paracletos, comforter, or unveiler. A loss, paracletos. That is found in the verse where Jesus says that I will send you another comforter. That's the phrase. It was Christ coming into us that birthed the church. Not Christ coming to us. 
Are you here, what dividing house? It was Christ coming into us that birthed the church. Not Christ coming to us. So he tells them, he says, stay here in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high, for you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost. And you shall be my witnesses. And a witness, I've said it here before, a witness, Marcos in the Greek, a witness is not one who just talks about stuff. A witness is one whose life puts on display what he's convinced about. Now, in English parlance, you, you, you know a witness as someone that just comes to court and says, oh, I was, I'm a witness. My Lord, permit me to witness number one. And then you go, were you there? He said, I was there. Do you know this man? Said, yes, I know this man. That's not a witness in scripture. A witness is somebody whom you observe to establish the truth about someone else. A witness is not one who speaks about someone else. So the secular understanding of witness is not the actual understanding of witness. So when Jesus says, you shall be my witness, he didn't say you shall be my, he didn't mean you shall be my mouthpiece. He meant you shall be to the people what I am like. That's witness. That's the word in the Greek. One who displays by his lifestyle what he believes. So here was John being a witness in 1 John 1.1. 1. The things we're writing to you about whom we have touched. 1 John 1.1. 1. 1. Tasted, handled, which we have seen with our eyes. We have looked upon. Our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Next verse. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness. How does the TPT put verse 2? The life giver was made visible and we have seen him. We testify to this truth. That's a witness. A witness is a life poured out in defense of what he or she is convinced they believed. And that's the place of the church. What brought about us becoming witnesses? The Holy Spirit in us. Who is the Holy Spirit in us? Jesus in us. Because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Son of God. Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, he sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your heart. So the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Son of God. Because the Holy Spirit is God. <laughs> Romans 8, it will be referred to as the Spirit of God. In the same Romans 8, it is referred to as the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of a Son. So the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Son of God. Or is the Spirit of Jesus. Now if you are spirit and you are not body. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. It means the Holy Spirit is the actual Jesus. Let me wait for you to catch what I just said. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the spirit of Jesus. And Jesus left in the body and sent his spirit into you. Then who is Jesus in you? The Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit inside you? Jesus. Jesus without his body. Because if Jesus was his body, 
the moment he left and discarded this body, then he would not have been able to function anymore. But Jesus that rose, rose in his glorified body. And that glorified body is not matter. M-A-T-T-E-R. Because that body was not matter, that's how he could pass through walls. Yeah? A physical body, uncle, you will collide with something. Or something will collide with you. I love Sister Act. I grew up watching Sister Act. The Whoopi Goldberg movie. And then they start to diss her when she just starts to teach this class. And talk about how dumb her mama was. So they kept throwing shades at, at her. At the, the new nun that was come to teach the music. And they keep throwing shades at her and how her mom is so dumb. Her mama is so dumb. And then she just flips on one of the boys and says, let's talk about your mama. That was so dumb she got hit by a parked car. End of discussion. And that was the end. The guys understood that this new teacher again might pass you. So if you were trying to penetrate walls in your physical body, you will collide with something or something. So it was his glorified body. Is it helping anybody? It's because he was in his glorified body that he could say, come Thomas, put your hand here. Now, if you're in a mortal body and there's holes in your hand, you'll be bleeding, sir. First of all, that blood will not even be able to clot so quickly. It will not congeal so quickly. And if it did, eventually, you'll have your veins bulging out. But the glorified Jesus that didn't have bodily essence can say to Thomas, stick your hand in here. If I put your hand in my side, what entered his side? A spear. So a whole feast could have gone in his side. And there's no blood, no water flowing because it was all done and over with. So the resurrected Jesus was in a glorified body. Not in a natural body anymore. Does that make sense? So what is now the natural body of Jesus that will take him anywhere he needs to go? Mine. That's Christ in me. That's what makes me and you the body of Christ. So if Christ will go anywhere now, I have to go. Because I am now the carrier physically of the substance that is Jesus. Do you understand? Now, it is this understanding that made Paul tell the Corinthian church, you cannot carry this body and go and sleep with a prostitute. Oh, are you saying that I can go and sleep with a prostitute and the spirit of God will be inside my body? Everywhere, look at me. Look at me carefully. Yes. You mean I will go and be smoking and the Holy Ghost is inside me, sir? Yes. Where's he going? The question now becomes, will I know that I am carrying the Holy Ghost perpetually inside me and carry him to go and sleep with a prostitute? That is the question you should answer no to. Will the Holy Ghost remain in me? It's not a question. The question is, will you carry Holy Ghost? Who will not leave you and do nonsense? Because he will not leave you. 
So the responsibility of a believer is not to preserve the presence of the Holy Ghost. You cannot preserve the preserver. If, if I need to now preserve the person that is preserving me, then why do I need him, sir? Hello? Can we reason together? No, no. The believer is not called to preserve the preserver. The Holy Ghost is your preservative. The, Holy, the, the believer is called to the responsibility of handling the preserver. Do you understand? Yes, we are called to the responsibility of handling the preserver. Oh, please, don't give me an iPhone. I might break it. Give me a 4,000 naira, three SIM. Four SIM, eh? Four SIM. There's a four SIM. Are you serious? <laughs> wow. That's a telecommunication company. So, no, 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 no. So, you, no, no, don't give me. Don't give me a phone. I can't, I can't preserve it. Give me a small phone. No. You take the phone along with the instructions. If you need to buy a screen guard, put a screen guard on it. I use an iPhone until you guys force me out of it. You know, cause I, got, I got tired of people saying, send me that song, Pap. Send me that song. Ah! I was the only one that had iPhone around. I have to see, Victor, when I was using iPhone, I ordered an armored case that uses 12 Allen key screws. 12. You open it, put the phone in iPhone inside. It covers it. And then you use Allen key and screw 12 screws over it. And then it has rugged metal for all the, all the ports. It, the phone is awaiting something. Now, why didn't I stop just using the iPhone? Because when the thing falls, no. When that case falls, it's the ground that cracks. I am not joking. I am not joking. Gorilla case. It's the ground that cracks. The phone stays sacrosanct, preserved for the day of the Lord. Absolutely preserved. So why did I go? No, I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to use it. Because I will, I will spoil it. I will abuse it. He will abuse grace. Grace is designed such that no abuse can diminish it. Preserve the Holy Ghost. So if you're careful, you go, the Holy Ghost leave. Wow. No, sir. It's you knowing that I carry the Holy Ghost. I can't be carrying the Holy Ghost and doing nonsense. Out of my regard and respect and honor of carrying God. In the Old Testament, they carried an ark that carried God. In the New Testament, we are the ark that carries God. the difference they carried an ark that contained God a measure of God Mm -hmm. we are now the ark you are his dwelling you are his building you are his temple if God lives in a place this is the place is anybody hearing me so it had to take him moving into you to begin the church it therefore means that there is no church in the absence of an indwelling in the absence of the spirit witness In the absence of the indwelling, there's no church. And that's why it is dangerous to be in a place that has gotten into order and agenda at the expense of the leading of the spirit. That's not his church. 
Because in the absence of the infilling of the spirit, there's no church. In the absence of spirit, there's no church. I said many years ago that the church has perfected the art of having an excellent service delivery in the absence of the spirit of God. And that's dangerous. We can gather and we can have six services from 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. And script every second. Praise and worship. Fast call to worship. Two minutes. Fast high praise. Seven minutes. Slow worship. Three minutes. Straight after that. Welcome first timers. Testimonies. Announcements. Offerings. And all the other attendant offerings. Yeah. Every now and then. Then straight into choir ministration. Right after choir ministration. The word. Right after the word. That's when we now have all those uh, people that got married yesterday. Yeah. Newest couple in town. Yeah. yeah. Child, child dedication. Thanksgivings. Final announcement. Blessing. The grace. The goodness. And our confession. And we, and we can replicate it six times. Seven times. Like clockwork. What do you need the Holy Spirit for? That's a waste of, waste of time. Don't need the Holy Spirit. We have done this for a very long time. We're efficient. We have perfected this art. You start the song, song is not working. You say, Stop, give us high praise. Not this one. Yes. Choir, high praise, please. High praise. High praise. Me, I know what I'm talking about. We have rehearsed integrity music. We have rehearsed it. Serious. Righteousness, back at the peace, bump down, bump. Do you look at you, lady? Choir, choir, high praise, high praise. Inside your song that you are singing, high praise, high praise. You now stop. What do you mean by high praise? When you see me dance, I. Lord, you are so good. You are worthy of my praise. Say, so give, give us a high praise. Sir, sir, which one is low praise? So the only time you can sing a song that you can determine how it goes is you doing your choir ministration. And it's how you are singing your choir ministration. Pastor is looking at you. He's holding the microphone like this. You just know you're wasting pastor's time. He's holding the arm of his chair. You will cut your four verse, you will cut it at verse two. Straight to the bridge. You remove the modulation. You advise yourself. Then pastor will now stop your choir ministration. And then start his own song on a key that does not exist. You go tun 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 The key is not on the keyboard. In the absence of the spirit within, there's no church. The issue is we have, th- we, have, we have gotten so used to treating church as a business. Yes, the most effective way to deliver it. Minimum input, maximum output. That's why we can spend six years waiting for a keyboard. We carry all this money and buy a keyboard. What does the keyboard do? What does the keyboard do? Because we want to put in so little and get so much. And we script out even momentarily. The measure that you are led by the Spirit. Not to the measure that you excel in any form of church delivery. You're not a good church because your choir sings well. You're not a good church because your pastor preaches well. Because you have a nice room. 
auditorium. You are a church. Because there is this witness. There's the witness of the spirit. Against this backdrop, it will shock believers how many churches are called inefficient who are actually spirit churches. They may not have lights. They may not have good music. But they are led by the spirit of God. Does that make sense? So the church began when Jesus moved into man. The church began when Jesus moved into man. Man was the building he was referring to. Right? Man was the building he was referring to. I wrote here that he set the church in motion according to a deliberate pattern. The church is not random. We have fought the church for a while because the church herself got messed up. But the church herself got messed up because she started off on a wrong footing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus built his church according to a pattern. To ignore the pattern is to lose claim to be called the church. Is anybody hearing the word about the house? To ignore the pattern is to lose your right to claim to be the church of Jesus Christ. Because this is at the thrust of what we are talking about. At the very thrust of what we are talking about. To ignore that is to lose your right to claim to be the church of Jesus Christ. So this is the building that Jesus was referring to. And him going into the cross redeeming us as sons was so he could move into us. Take residence in us. He set that church according to a deliberate pattern. We cannot say we are a church if we ignore that pattern. The pattern here that I see in the New Testament church, first of all, is that Jesus did not set the church in motion to feed the church. Because you see, we have been conditioned to need stuff as though we don't have it. And so the mentality that you can never be a giver, you can only be a receiver. You cannot receive what we give you. So what do we, how do we grow up? We grow up believing we are wired to receive. We are never thinking that we are self-sufficient. Never. We're not thinking we're self-sufficient. We are aid-driven. We are grant-driven. We are belly-driven. Nobody is self-sufficiency-driven. How much more kingdom-driven? Nobody. That mixes inside the business acumen of church. Church now grows up with charlatans in the pulpit that understand that for you to ever bring out something, we must let you know that that thing you are bringing out is going to give you something. So the church now gets established with the notion that if you come to church, you will get. If you come to church, God will do something for you. If you come to church, what you are seeking for, you shall have. So you now start coming to church and giving blindly and stupidly because you are hoping that God will press down, shake together. You know, they've taught us give and shall be given to you. Luke 6, 38. Show me where now in the, show me where it talks about money. Pretext that you not be judged. For with the same measure that you judge, will be meted back to you. Give. And shall be given back to you. Good measure, press down, shaking together, running over. Shall men, not God. So where did we try and twist this scripture to become one about money, two about offering? Because if it's about money, we can understand why it has been twisted a little bit to make it for offering. Like Malachi 3.10. You know, it's about money, resources, so we can understand the twist. But this one is not even about money at all. But no, that's how the church has been set up. 
wired to feel like we, we gather you here to meet your needs. The church was not planted by Jesus to meet your need. This, this sounds like, what are you saying? But the church is not planted. You think Jesus died, paid the price he paid so the church can buy you phone. So church can pay your rent, pay your school fees. And we come into church with the mentality, I've come to where all my needs will be met. No, that place is supposed to be your senator of your constituency. Yeah. Or the house of rep person of your constituency. That's who is eating your money. And they're bashing pastors. Oh, pastors. Oh, pastors. Pastors are just taking money. How, how, how have you not followed your senator? And then you come to church. And believe that it's church that should meet your needs. I am not... I, there are people that I don't endorse. Does that make sense? That, that I'm going to say some things doesn't mean I endorse some things. But I don't understand the idiocy. Hmm? I don't understand the idiocy of somebody thinking a pastor who owns a private jet should have used the money to build roads. He's not the president. He's not the minister for works and housing. Am I justifying his ownership of a jet? Me, I don't know. It's by the time I have my own jet, I will understand. <laughs> but the point is, it's not the pastor's place to build the road. It's the government's. Just like it's not the government's place to regulate how we pray. Let the government be the government or the state and let the church be the church. Does that make sense? So why haven't you told a footballer that has a jet to build roads? But the moment is a pastor. And some of these guys, they're not stealing. Some people are making money. It's part that is giving you for free everything. The truth simply put, you just... One book, 15,000. And I tell you, discount, two of them, 26,000. And you see the people on Facebook that follow, like in the hundreds, thousands. If you give me a few years, he can put a tidy sum together. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not the Bible he's selling. And even the Bible, they're selling it. It's the truth that is free. A book is not. Uh-huh. This is, is, is this helping anybody? The truth is free. A book is not. That's why the Bible itself is not free. But the truth is free. And even if the truth is for sale, Scripture says buy it. And you that bought it, don't sell it. <laughs> Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth. Sell it not. So personally, I want to look out for people that come into church and you're looking at us as the answer to all your problem. You'll be doing you until you jump off. You jump off, your eye will clear. Because I will tell you straight, recalibrate what brought you here. And I am telling you, as the single largest giver in this church. I'm not telling you as one who is stingy. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not telling you this as somebody who doesn't like spending money. I'm telling you this as somebody who doesn't have a life because all his life is given out. So you don't think that Opav is saying this because he doesn't like to give. Nobody in this church can say that. We have, we have done all kinds of stuff. So I'm not speaking as one who is afraid of giving. Mm. I give without thinking. I give without counting the cost to myself. We're not saying this because we don't want to give. We're saying this because we must clarify what the church is here to do. And cut off the weight. Will needs be met in church? Absolutely. Should needs be met in church? Absolutely. Must needs be met in church? No. Do you understand what I'm teaching you? If it was all about meeting needs... The apostles would have stopped preaching and teaching and praying 
and paid attention to meeting needs. Instead, they said, choose men, let them serve tables. We continue in the preaching and teaching of the God's word and in prayer. That's the primary essence. Do you understand? Second one, and again, this will disturb somebody. The church is not planted to heal you. Destined to heal breakthrough conference featuring healings, miracles, signs and wonders, fruit of the womb, anointing for visa. So you now come to church because you believe that we can pray for you to get China visa. And then you're a pastor and you stand before God's people and you tell them God sent you to liberate them to travel. You must set the record straight. Church is not designed to meet your needs. Will you be healed in church? Absolutely. Is that what church was planted for? No. A lot of people that struggle with needs are people that came thinking that church is the answer to their needs. They're the ones that stay needy. They're the ones that stay receiving the same prayer for the same prayer point. Year in, year out, program after program, anointing after anointing because your expectation is instead of being on the cross is in the church. Are you following me now? Church is not where you meet your, have your needs met. No, it's not. Church is where you meet needs. Yes. You. Church is not an outreach initiative so, so, so that you will say, well, church is where I can receive my healing. Church is where people who heal gather. Church is not where people who are sick come to receive healing. The receiving of healing is done at the preaching of the gospel. Do you understand? Check through the New Testament. I don't have time to show you. The bulk of recorded miracles and healings happened as they accompanied the preaching of the gospel, mostly to unbelievers. Check your Bible. Like, like believers arguing about it, a Christian can be demon-possessed. And it's a simple, I just I only ask them a simple question. Show me one place in scripture where a demon was cast out of a believer. Don't tell me from my experience, from, you know, I've been in ministry for 40 years. I have seen somebody who was a, people will tell you, I've seen somebody who was an elder, who was a pastor possessed. An elder pastor by whose estimation? By whose estimation? That you call yourself a big shop does not make you one. Does not make you one. That you call yourself a reverend does not make you one. My name is Evangelist. Most times people that lead with that are full of themselves. You don't have security. You can't call your name. You can't call your name. You must lead with your title. It's insecurity. It's a complex. So you are a reverend by whose estimation? Oh, she has been singing the choir for 12 years. She's a child of God by whose measurement? You cannot come and force on us a doctrinal standpoint and say a believer was, can be demon-possessed because Sister Stella was successfully demon-possessed. Instead of, in spite of being in church for 20 years. What you're telling us is we have judged Sister Stella to be a Christian. We. Because we have judged her to be a Christian and she was successfully demon-possessed. Therefore, every Christian can be demon-possessed. That's a flawed theology. The question is not, can a Christian be demon-possessed? That's not the question. Can a believer be demon-possessed? It's not not the question. The question is, can a demon-possessed person be said to be a believer? Let's start there. Out there. It's where we do it. 
out there, as we go out there. Will people be healed in here? Absolutely. People will be saved in here. Even if church is not an outreach gathering. We don't gather on Sunday to save the lost. Can you, can you guys handle this? This is, this is, this, that's why we come on Sunday. We can't preach the gospel. We can't go deep. Because you're afraid that unbelievers are here. What are they doing here? Can somebody answer me from scripture? Because scripture says, and the Lord added to them daily, such as were being saved. Who was the Lord adding to the church? People who have been saved. Who are we adding to the church? People we wish to be saved. Invite them. Bring all your unsaved friends. Bring them to church. The Lord will touch them. And they will come. They like the music. They answer brother next week. In four months time, they are the head of a department. In six months, they are minister. In two years, they are assistant pastor. In four years, they have a parish and they don't know Jesus. They have no sense of the, of the gospel. No sense of light. But they've been in church long enough to learn the language. Robo, 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 robo. Robo, 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 robo. Robo, 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 robo. Jesus, bless you, bless you, bless you. As well. In all things, we give thanks. Praise God. God works all things for the good of them that love him. God according to his purpose. Those few lines. We pick, I call it Christianese. We have Chinese, Cantonese, Taiwanese. It's a language called Christianese. Just learn the language, sharp, sharp, sharp. You don't need to know it too deeply. Even pigeon Christianese is okay. And you sound like a Christian. So we promote you quickly, especially if you're very zealous. And then boom, we'll give you a people. And you have no clue what to do with them. Why? Because we brought an unsaved person into church and tried to church him. Try to church him. What's the unsaved person? What's the unbeliever doing in church? You, you met the unbeliever out there. You left the unbeliever in the unbelief. And you call yourself a believer. You now drag the unbeliever to come to a place that what will happen there? That your pastor has greater anointing to lead him to Christ? And here's church. Church is after numbers because numbers equals offering. So we tell, invite them. Bring your unsaved friends. Just bring them because offering no know whether you are saved or not. Money is not born again. At the end of the day. Just bring them. Just bring them. And so we have a mixed multitude. And then when somebody gives specially, you acknowledge him specially. So he grows specially. Somebody gives two million, you, you greet them. Somebody gives five million, let him meet me in my office. Somebody gives 50 million, let him wait, I'm coming to his office. Somebody gives 100 million. You gave 100 million. Every Christmas, I'm coming to your village for outreach. I know what I'm telling you. So we create a separation of the classes according to how you give. Church is not planted by Jesus to solve your problems. <laughs> so you can establish why you are coming to church. So and so, I, I say this with no apology. So and so, solution center. You missed it already. You missed it already. 
Come, Jesus will. Come, Jesus will. Come, Jesus will. Like Jesus is some jukebox. You just come, press one or two things, seven or two prayers, press one or two buttons, whatever you need, poof. Jesus will just bring it out for you. No, no, no. We're, we're not churched for our problems to be solved. In fact, the bulk of growing in the faith is teaching you how to navigate problems when they come. The bulk of you growing up, spiritual maturity, is learning mastery in how to handle problems when they come. Discipleship is not an escape route out of problem. Are you here today? No, sir. Is teaching you to navigate problems when they come. And because of that slavery mentality, anything that happens to you, you sneeze once, you sneeze Im- Im- again, immediately, somebody's after you. You are born again. Jesus paid the price and nailed the old ordinances to the cross. And the color of an animal still matters to you. Such that the color of the animal can affect your destiny. You who were predestined to be conformed. All it takes is for you to see a black cat and darkness covers your life. All it takes for your destiny to be locked is that an, an owl is crying by your window in the night. That's it. That's all. That's how cheap your destiny is. Is anybody listening to me? Yeah. To some of you, it sounds funny. But God doesn't lead me in these ways randomly. Never. All it takes is one owl crying in the night. And everything God did for you in Christ has been locked up by one owl. All it takes is for one cat meowing in heat. And then we have published a dictionary in church of what these things mean. If a dog runs after you, it means this. If a dog chases you at night, it means that. If they cut off your head, they've stolen your glory. That's what it means. And we'd have a whole stupid demonic dictionary of how we interpret the dreams and the happenstances of Christians. Because you think church is where everybody wants solution. There's a lot of people that come to church the same way people go to a shrine. And that's why some of you that come here, even to what abiding house, are struggling to conform to the message. You are struggling to conform to the message. Because you are still, there's something you are after. It's not the gospel. You are hearing the gospel, you are hearing it. But there's something you are after, or someone you are after. So the word is not taking root. If you stay long enough, then you might qualify for that. If you hang around and show that you're busy enough, you might get into this. You might hook up with that. You might enjoy that benefit. And because of the sovereignty of God, you will stay there. And you watch people coming and going past you. And you will swear that there's favoritism going on. Meanwhile, nothing of the sort. At least if you know me. If you know me. And not the me that has been sold to you by the person that sits next to you. Because there's me and there's the me that somebody can tell you is the version of me. But if you know me for yourself, you know that I don't have a single partial bone in my body. I don't. I don't know how to discriminate even if I wanted to. I don't. 
I don't know how to do it. And you will sit there because of how you are hardwired. And stuff will happen and go past and go past and go past. And there will be times where I really want to now help you. I will not have. On your matter. Because if I had and gave you, it would justify why you came. And it will not help you. So God refuses to simplify it. Because you receiving is you justifying that. You see, it worked. And once it works once, you are trapped. So in God's sovereignty, he will keep you there. Counting months. Counting years. Counting near misses. But not growing. Because nobody has told you that the church is not here to solve your problem. The church is here to disciple you to grow into mastery of life. Handling your problems. Minding your business. I'll pick up next week. Now that we've explained what the church is not here for. Then we look at what the church is actually here for. Matthew 28, Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples. The primary purpose of church is that means any church that is not sold out on discipleship is a deficient church. And any believer who is not an ardent disciple is a deficient believer. That's why we're not, we're not counting. I don't, that's why here we don't count church members. Some of you don't know. We don't count people in this church every meeting. Like Christ, how many people came? Christ explained. We don't know. So we don't have a, a, a statistic for, oh, the number is increasing. The number is reducing. Okay, so last month we had fewer people than the month before. And what, what is happening? I don't have such statistics. I don't. We're not counting heads. Do you understand? Because what we are counting is disciples, not church members. Are you a member of this church? What does that mean? The true essence of church is disciples. So you can be in a church and you are not a disciple. And if you're not a disciple, you're, you're a deficient believer. Because you miss the entire essence of church. Everything else follows off from being a disciple. Everything else we'll talk about, church, according to the pattern of Jesus, springs forth from being a disciple. That's the essence of church. That's the church that Jesus died for. That's the church that will change the world. That's the church that will take nations. That's the church that will take cities. That church. That's the church that has lights that people want to see. That's the church that is active. I'll end where I started. Matthew 16, 18. In the message. Has anybody been instructed today? Yes. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I put together my church. That's the line I want to leave us with today. A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell can be able to keep out. That's the church he's called us to build. And that church will of a necessity be different from everything else around it. And that's fine. It's okay. So what about the house? This is a reminder for you. That hopefully your eyes are being enlightened to understand that we are called, we're marching to a different sound. And it is loud. So you cannot be here in this season and not be growing according to the pattern. By now, if you, if you, are, if you have any eye or tower of the Spirit of God, then you ought to know that this man knows exactly what marching orders he's following. Yes, sir. 
I will not change it for anybody. I've said it over and over. I won't. As the Lord helps me and gives me grace. I won't change it for anybody. Now you can be offended all you want. But I'd rather choose your offense than choose to change the color of what God has said. Just so that you understand now that it's okay for you and me to fall out in pursuit of what God showed me. It's okay. Everything in my life is on the basis of this conviction, including marriage. Nothing's indispensable. That's what it will cost to birth the church that Jesus died for. There has to be people that's willing to do it. You see it next week. I'll show you some more next week. The church of Jesus, the church that Jesus died for, the church was also imitate, is supposed to be one. Acts 5.12. Ah, man. I will close. Acts 5.12. And through the house of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord. The Greek word for one accord actually means to be unanimous now. You know, there are two things. Unanimous means that we agree. Yeah? Unanimous now connotes that there was never a point that we even disagreed before agreeing. That's what one accord means. In other words, we are spontaneous in our agreement. It's not like we have to argue and explain and argue and then eventually when we have taken everybody's point of view, we then agree. That's flesh. Stay with me. That's flesh. That's not church. That's a social club. The church of Jesus Christ is unanimous now. Instantly. What brings about that unity at once? What brings about that concert at once? The witness of the spirit inside the church. So when we get up and say we are going here, it's not why should we go? Have you heard what Pav has now brought? You know, and then you already discussed it in twos and threes. And discussed the instruction of God from the mouth of your pastor. Before you eventually came and said, let's do it. And then you and the person you discussed it are now coming to do it. You're the problem in church. That you even have the conscience to still come and do it with the person you have talked against it with. That's not one, that's not one accord. That's actually a very divided house. A dangerous house sitting on a time bomb. Because it means that person, if you give them the opportunity to manifest what's in their heart, they will show it. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. But that if a word comes and says, this is what we're doing, we do it now. We don't start from a point of disagreeing to agree. Instead, we operate at the point where there is no room for disagreement mentally. How much more vitally? How much more practically? You don't even think we are going to raise this. If we are one church, the church of Jesus, we are all going to raise it. Nobody needs to be wound. Nobody who is a member of this house will go, why are they doing this again? Because the way God the way God works, I'm not a processing person when it comes to the leading of the spirit. And so I never have, but I always want to respond instantly by the spirit. That's one heart. Because I don't have to pray to know whether it is God's will for me to support this thing. Are you guys hearing me? I don't have to pray. Somebody's phone is stolen or somebody was raped or whatever and their phone was taken. Let's start by replacing the phone now. That's how I operate. Let's fix it now. Straight. 
Let's replace it. We're tidying you up. We're paying attention to you, but we're also replacing what anybody thought they stole. What was the one you were using before? Let's get the, let's get the one above that. So yeah, you, you just facilitated an upgrade. Why should we think? Let me, let me find out from the Lord whether... Whether... No, no, no. That's not the church of Jesus. That's not the church that's in one accord. People were of one heart. I'll show you that next week. And they were of one mind. And they were of one soul. Soul is the word translated breath in the Greek. They were of one breath. So the church breathed together. Now picture it symbolically in your head. Picture that all of us here now all breathe out simultaneously. And we all breathe in simultaneously. And we hold that breath for the exact amount of time in our lungs. And then we breathe out again. That's what it means to be of one soul. So no, that church hasn't manifested yet. And that's why the world can poke fingers in our eyes and laugh at us. The church hasn't manifested yet. That church hasn't manifested yet. The Lord is calling us to be the church he died for. The church that puts out on display the ideals of our elder brother. One heart, one mind, one soul. The word heart translated in the Greek, I'll show you next week, is the word cardia, from which you get the word cardiac. K-A-R-D-I-A, cardia. Heartbeat as one. So the entire church doesn't have multiple heartbeats. The entire church is a poof, poof, poof. The entire church of Jesus. How you know is the church of Jesus is that the only pulse in the church is the pulse of Jesus. The pulse of the heart of Jesus. The cardia of Jesus. One heart beating as one. That's when we are church. Joe can fancy playing around must stop. It must stop. And let the church of Jesus emerge. That is responsible and grounded. That breathes as one. That's the day when if you touch one person in the church. Is anybody receiving instruction? That's the day you touch one person in the church. One. That's the day when the entire church will cry out in legislature. And it will echo across the nations of the world. That the church is crying out. It's because we have lost this. That people out there preach that church is irrelevant. Because all they know as church is what church now is. Praise, worship, offering, giving, kuriakos. Because we have, we have abdicated the true essence of church. And nobody wants to take on that responsibility. Until us. Me and those who are with me. Until us. More than ever before there's a need for an example. And God has called us to be that example. He's called us to set the pace. He's called us to blaze the tree. That the church of Jesus Christ will emerge. Can you just pray a prayer? Let the church of Jesus Christ emerge in me, starting with me. Pray that out. Starting with me, let the church emerge. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.